Here's my interview with Stephanie Orpilia. Steph is a software engineer at Amazon where she focuses on front-end and data visualization for cloud security. She also runs an Etsy store, STEMBABE, and is a mentor and curriculum developer for Girls Who Code and Built by Girls. Steph and I talk about learning how to code, getting your first developer job, tips for technical interviews, and how to learn data structures and algorithms. Hope you enjoy the episode. Steph, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate it. Yeah, of course. Like I said, I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah. I want to dive in and ask you what first got you interested in coding? Yeah. So uh, it was actually a complete accident. I didn't mean to get into coding specifically. Uh, I went to UCLA and I was a geography and environmental science major. And as part of that major, I did a lot of projects and research around data over space. So the distribution of animals across earth, the climate change in California by region, things like that. So I was working with geospatial data a lot. Um, And the reason I started coding was actually because I wanted to make one of those projects more dynamic. I had a map of endangered species across earth. Um, It was just a PDF pretty much that I had created. And I wanted it to be something that I'd be able to share with other scientists and people researching this. And I put it online as a PDF. And then I realized it would be so much more engaging and useful if it was something that people could zoom in on and click around on and spin the earth the same way that the New York Times has those types of map info, um, graphic types of things, but not graphic, it is usable. And so I was Googling how to do this, and I found out that the way the New York Times was doing this was with the Google Maps APIs um, injected into their web pages. So I decided I definitely want to do this for my map. And I realized that to do this, I needed to learn a little bit of JavaScript, just enough so that I could um, have a functional map. So I started doing a little bit of Code Academy. Um, I learned how to create this map. And that was my first JavaScript project ever. I kept going from that. Um, The next thing that I did that was coding related uh, was with Python. I had a huge data set of temperatures um, in California, uh, tons of different years. I needed to kind of massage the data. I didn't Mm -hmm. want to do it manually because I just realized this is going to take me hours to go in and edit every single line one by one. I'll probably make mistakes. Um, And I realized that I could automate that by writing a little Python script. Again, I was Googling how to do all of this. And it was basically because I was feeling lazy and I needed something that would do this for me, which (laughs) is just a great application for code in general, optimizing things. And so I kind of went from there. Did you ever get stuck? Yes, all the time. I still get stuck all the time. I think that Beginners think that you only will get stuck when you start coding and that it gets easier from there. And I think the things that you struggle with early on absolutely do get easier, but the problems you're solving get harder. Uh, Mm -hmm. So you'll always get stuck. Uh, My first resource tends to be Google. If something is Googleable, it's a question that I don't necessarily need to ask a senior developer or a lead developer. Um, it's something that I want to figure out myself. So sometimes I'll literally just plug in the error message I'm getting either from the console or VS code into Google. And (laughs) I usually get something because the internet is magic. 
um, and I'll get linked to a Stack Overflow post or something. And I usually scroll down to the answer with the most upvotes. Um, and then I read a little bit of the blurb about what the person is saying. I copy that piece of code and then I put it into my app. I change some variable names and hopefully it works. Usually it doesn't right away and I have to kind of do a little bit more digging. Um, but I always try to look at what the person said and understand what, what the answer is doing so that it's not just kind of like copy pasta as <laughs> my team likes to call it, <laughs> because I think that's a really important part of problem solving. Even if you don't come up with the solution yourself, if you know how to pseudocode or you know what you're looking for, um, you'll be able to eventually come to those answers yourself and solve those same problems that you didn't know the answer to a few years ago. I think that is kind of harder to do because you think, oh, it takes more time, but the payoff is so big and you learn so much more. Definitely. I've learned more from my bugs and errors than from any feature that has worked perfectly. I wanted to ask, so when you were doing all of this learning, did you know kind of then when you were doing it that you wanted to eventually get a job as a developer or did it take you a while? Yeah, it took me a while. I even though I had done some coding, I didn't consider a career in this. I don't know if I was fully aware that people were just software developers for products. Um, I looked at coding as kind of a tool to do the things that I was trying to do um, in my projects and research. And so when I graduated, I had just a bachelor's degree and my thought was I'll get a job It'll be some kind of environmental job. It'll be great. I'll do a few years and then I'll figure things out. Um, but I didn't get a job. I applied to tons of companies and the feedback I was getting was we would really like you to have a master's or maybe even a PhD um, so that we can hire you for this entry level job. And that was really disappointing to me because I feel like in college, you just hear that whatever you're doing, there's jobs in that you'll get something. And I just wasn't. Um, and so I realized that the best skill that I had, that I had on my resume, um, was my JavaScript in Python, even though it was super minimal. So I kind of leaned into those and I was like, how can I beef up these skills so I can get an entry-level job in something um, where I'm doing a little bit of coding and then I'll just move over to the business side super quickly and I'll be some kind of uh, analyst. That was my goal to get in as a developer and then quickly not be a developer anymore. <laughs> Cut to five years later when I'm still a developer and it was the best choice. <laughs> Can you talk more on, so how did that first job go or how did you get it? Yeah, so that first job was also a numbers game. Um, I think I applied to over a hundred companies, just sending my resume out. Um, my strategy kind of was finding job postings on LinkedIn. And then instead of doing the easy LinkedIn apply, I would go to the actual website of the company, the career site, and then apply there. Um, I've never written a cover letter for a software job ever. And I maintain that I never will. Um, so, <laughs> and I also don't personalize my resume, um, which are both two no-nos if you're, if you're trying harder. But to me, I was just like, I need a job and 
I'm going to get one eventually. Someone will let me work at their company. <laughs> um, so I was applying really widely and I was also doing side projects um, that I could put on my portfolio and show recruiters or hiring managers. Um, and I was also working on data structures and algorithms, which were really difficult for me at the time because I just didn't have the strong computer science fundamentals. So I leaned more into the project side when I was applying to my first job. And since then, I've kind of brushed up on all of the fundamentals and taken additional courses on Coursera um, and various other platforms to learn my data structures and get really strong with algorithms and all of that stuff, because it's definitely also important. Yeah. And I'd love to talk more on that later. I want to ask you more on that first job. So pretty much you applied and then you started a role. And so was it a developer role or was it a kind of mix? Like you said? Yeah. So the position title was UI engineer. And I remember at the time, I thought it was so funny that um, the word engineer was being used to describe me because I just didn't <laughs> see myself as that person, as someone who had studied um, something that some people consider a soft science. I just felt more like this kind of hippie girl who talked her way into this situation. Um, but that year as a UI engineer or front-end developer, gave me so many experiences and taught me so much about working in front end in a production environment. And it's, it's totally not the same as doing projects on your own. And mm -hmm. so I'm definitely grateful for that year, even though it felt very chaotic and looking back, it was a bit of a dumpster fire <laughs> <laughs> because it was a startup. They were growing just tons of growing pains. Um, and I was working a lot and working really hard, but it gave me those entry-level experiences that I have used and I think back to um, in interviews and when I'm getting stuck on something now, it's just like, well, I can do it because I did that. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Can you think of anything that helped you through that first kind of crazy role where you have, I feel like I had so much to learn that first role. Um, it was like very overwhelming all the time. When I was getting my first developer job and I finally got the job, the first feeling was just like, oh my God, I did it. I'm here. <laughs> and then there was a lot of imposter syndrome over having this job. So when I showed up the first day, I felt like, oh, I have to be so productive immediately. Where's the code? Let me do something. Let me contribute. Um, and I kind of was doing too much too soon. So my advice to my past self and anyone who's getting a new first job is to first take everything in and kind of listen, um, spend as much time as they're giving you in onboarding, shadowing other developers, um, understanding just the way things work. Because when you're working with other developers, you're following some of the patterns that they've already set rather than doing things however you want or ways that you've seen on the internet. It's important to onboard and look at the documentation that's there and the style guide if there is one so that your code matches the style and flavors of your team and is easier for everybody to maintain and test and all of that. Absolutely. I want to go back to what we were touching on earlier. You work at Amazon now and you're a completely self-taught engineer. So you've pretty much had to teach yourself computer science. And I want to ask, 
how do you get started with learning computer science? Yeah. So I struggle with the term self-taught just because like, I, it's not something I taught myself, but because I did find courses where I learned, it's not mm-hmm. like I developed my own curriculum or anything. I found courses on the internet. Some were good, some were bad. Um, but I think that's kind of part of it. And one thing I've realized is that you could start with a course and maybe it's a great course, but it's not quite the style you learn in, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Like maybe the instructor just doesn't resonate with you for some reason. So I feel like I've used so many resources to learn JavaScript, to learn React, to learn AWS, all of these things. And it took stacking those resources and using several things that were teaching me the same thing to absorb it. And once I had absorbed it, well, actually I was absorbing it by doing projects where I was actively learning. And I think of active learning as learning while doing. So Mm -hmm. you can read as many getting started with JavaScript blog posts um, as you want per day, but it's not going to be the same as if you sit with that content and do it in real time while you're reading it. So if you're learning about a variable, you should be playing with variables while you're reading about variables, if that makes sense. Um, So however, whatever course you choose or whatever blog you follow or curriculum you follow, make sure that you're actively coding while you're learning. Yeah, absolutely. I feel like I unfortunately forgot about that many times when I was just watching tutorials and not really actively learning. Definitely. And I think you make a good point too about how, so I get messages and I'm sure you get these too, where someone says like, what's the course that made you a developer? Or like, what's the best course you'd recommend? And it's kind of like, there are some courses that are better than others, but it's almost, I feel like it's not the best question, like what is the exact resource to use? Because everyone is going to learn differently. Mm -hmm. And it's just, you know, one course that someone likes might really suck for someone else. (laughs) Yeah, I agree. I mean, I started, like I said, with uh, Code Academy, and I think it was called Data Data Science Camp or Data Learning Camp, something like that. But both of Mm -hmm. those are services that walk you through this learning and you're also doing an exercise every time you do a lesson. Um, I I think at the time they were free. I'm not sure if they are anymore, but that was exactly what I needed because I think otherwise I would have just been too intimidated reading to actually think, oh, I can do this. Whereas if you're doing it while you're reading, you're already doing it. So there's no (laughs) barrier there. You're taking action immediately. Mm-hmm. I'd love for you to talk about data structures and algorithms. So obviously Amazon is one of these companies that is famous for doing these algorithm and data structures interviews. Um, is that kind of the interview subject material that you had to do when you were interviewing for Amazon? Yeah, definitely. Um, Amazon was my third job, uh, the startup being mm-hmm. the first. And then after the startup, I worked at Sony as a software engineer Um, And neither of those past two interviews were data structures and algorithms heavy. Um, I mostly just talked about my experience and my projects to get those jobs. Uh, But after I'd worked at Sony, um, recruiters from the different FANG companies started reaching out and saying, hey, would you like to interview at Google? Would you like to talk to Netflix? Are you interested in Amazon? And immediately I was just thinking, oh my God, there's no way I'm passing any of those interviews 
um, because when a recruiter reaches out, they tend to give you some prep materials. And the Google recruiter sent me this PDF and it was the cracking the coding interview book as a PDF. I opened the PDF <laughs> and it was like 400 pages. And they were like, just make sure you're familiar with this material. And I was just <laughs> oh thinking God. 400 pages. <laughs> oh my goodness. That is so overwhelming. Also kind of amazing and hilarious that they sent you the book though. Oh my God. I know. I, I'm not sure if it's open source, if they are allowed to do that, but that was the thing that the recruiter said, just make sure you know this stuff <laughs> and you'll be fine in the interview. Oh my goodness. Yeah. That would so be so I bought a book, but <laughs> So what happened from there? And yeah, I'm really interested in this. I've recently um, had like fang companies reaching out to me mm-hmm. and yeah, the idea interviewing um, at one is like a bit scary to me, but I have been th- like, I have been focusing more on data structures and algorithms. And I'm also, you know, like you don't have a computer science degree. Where do you think I should go from here in terms of getting started with studying these things? Yeah. So there are definitely things that you need to know for the interview The FANG interview is not something that you can talk your way through the way some other interviews are, I would say, because every interviewer in the loop expects to ask you a data structures, algorithms, or design question, like it's coming. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So uh, what I did was I bought the book, the hard copy of the book that the recruiter recommended. And I think it's kind of a standard when you're studying for a software interview. Um, Admittedly, I did not get through it. I, I went through about 40 pages, but I am a JavaScript developer at heart. (laughs) That's just what I've done for the most part, um, in my career. So I think the book was more oriented towards folks who study computer science in school and then are trying to get a job afterwards. So I just realized this resource is not working for me. What can I find that's better for my learning style? And so the two things that I found that really worked well Um, were Colt Steele's course on Udemy. He has a really great algorithms course and it's for JavaScript developers. So every module of this course walks you through a data structure. So it starts um, with kind of simple data data structures like strings and arrays, and then you get up to link lists and graphs and trees and all of that. So that was so much more approachable for me than looking at this hardcover book. And so I started with that. And then I also used something called Interview Cake. Um, Fun fact, it's, I think, free for a few months if you have a student ID and a GitHub account. Um, And I have my old student ID. (laughs) I'm not a student anymore. So I definitely uh, use that. Um, And that was a really great resource as well. And you can do Interview Cake in any language. So they have JavaScript and like 10 others. Mm-hmm. And it's really great. Yeah. But actually one more thing, um, Colt Steele's course is a video course. So he talks through things and walks you through and interview cake is kind of a reading course. So you read a really fun blog post. And then as you're reading, you're doing little problems. So different styles, but both of those worked a lot better for me than the book. Those sound great. And I'll definitely link to those as well for someone who's listening and wants to go check them out. I haven't Mm -hmm. really heard of interview cake. I'm definitely going to check it out too. Can you talk more on some of your study habits? So uh, when you were studying um, for the FANG interview, did you pick certain time blocks of the day that you knew you were going to study? Can you talk more about that? 
Yeah. So I'm kind of a crammer. Um, I did most of my studying in the, the month before my interviews. <laughs> I asked the Google recruiter for six months and they were like, sure, totally fine. With these big companies, the recruiters don't really care your timeline. They just want to make sure that you're in their pipeline so that they get the bonus or whatever for you. So if you need more time to study for that interview and be more confident, take it. Um, even if you're not going to be on the team that they had originally thought of uh, sourcing you for, there's going to be other teams because they're just such big companies that they're always hiring. When it comes to study habits, I'm a big time blocker. So I get stressed out a little bit by endless to-do lists. So I would rather just say um, I'm blocking my day. So from eight to nine, I'm doing the podcast. From nine to 9.30, it's me time. Um, I'm downstairs with my dog. I'm making coffee. I'm checking my phone. Uh, 9.30 to 10, I'm doing data structures and algorithms. And in that time, I'm not saying I need to learn everything there is about um, a linked list. I'm saying, I'm just going to spend that time looking at the subject, or I'm going to spend that time playing with the code. Um, and I think that there's no substitute for time. There's really no hacks to learn any of this stuff. It's just spending time with the material, playing with the data structures and getting comfortable. And the more time that you do that regularly, the more comfortable you'll feel and confident when you go to interview, because you're like, well, I know this stuff because I've spent so much time with it. It's just like <laughs> getting to know a person, right? If you meet someone one time, you're not going to be best friends with them probably. You could get really good vibes and everything, but it doesn't really matter un until you spend a bunch of time with them or go on a vacation together. You know, I, I think that algorithms are similar. That is a fantastic point. I think on Twitter or Instagram, you kind of read some of these things like, oh, I became an engineer and it all sounds very sexy and exciting, or at least it mm -hmm. sounds very sexy to me uh, and exciting. But then it actually just takes a lot of almost boring grunt work. That's like really painful. Like you're waking up, you just spend an hour um, with some elbow grease, like painfully going yeah. over what feels like a, such a simple algorithm um, and just putting in the work over and over again. Yeah, I think it's building up those muscles in your brain to know that even if you're getting stuck on something, you can get through it. Um, it's kind of mental resilience and also, again, time. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Did you ever did you ever do like a set time, like I'm going to study for 15 hours a week type thing? Or did you not really um, kind of set that goal? I've definitely tried to do that before. Some of the courses I've taken... Um, they ask you to make that kind of a plan. And so for one of them, for the blockchain course that I took recently, it was like, make a learning plan and block out time that you're going to work on this course. So I said, okay, from 7.30 to 8, I'm going to work on this course every weekday. And it would text me at 7.15 being like, in 15 minutes, you're going to work on this. And I really needed that mechanism, that text to follow through. It wasn't enough that I wanted to learn a subject. I needed something else reminding me that I'd committed to it. Yeah, me too. And I feel like I've listened to, you know, so many podcasts or YouTube videos when they're talking about studying for these things. And I've said, okay, I'm going to go study, but I haven't really done it until I've set some sort of accountability externally. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. I think that's a good tip for someone who might be listening and they want to study these things. Um, if you just say, okay, I'm going to go do it, then will you actually do it? You kind of have to figure out, I mean, what works for them? Maybe they'll go do it, but figure out how can you actually, I feel like I have to force myself in some way, um, in a good, like fun way. Like, okay, how can I gamify this almost? Yeah. Another tip I have for that is something I got from the book, Atomic Habits, um, to make habits sticky, uh, one of the things that's useful is to start telling yourself, I'm the type of person who loves going to yoga three times a week because it makes me feel good, it elevates um, my mood, and I feel relaxed. And so by telling myself that, I want to go to yoga because I understand that it's something that is in me that I like to do. And it also fuels me and all of these things. But I think I also apply that to coding outside of work or learning outside of work. And so I tell myself, I'm the type of person who likes to learn new things. Um, And I do that by spending a little time every day, finding out about something I didn't know before, or solving a problem that's difficult, because it's cool that I wake up and I do something hard. So the rest of my day, I can do anything kind of. And it's maybe it's mental hacking. <laughs> <laughs> That's a great point. And I think kind of the opposite is true too, where you could say, uh, you a lot of people say to themselves, uh, or I feel like I have, like I'm not the type of person who's great at these intense data structures and algorithms. And then it's kind of a self-fulfilling prophecy. Then you yeah. probably won't be great at them if that's what you believe. I definitely have had that feeling as well. And something negative that I've told myself that actually is a little true, but not in a bad way is it takes me longer than other people to learn things. And that's not really true. It doesn't take me longer than other people to learn things. It's more that I like to understand things more deeply than other people before I'm confident speaking on those subjects. So that just tells me I need to sit with the information longer, or I need to learn it from multiple different sources to find a style that resonates with me. And then I'm so comfortable with it that I'm not afraid of it anymore. I love that. It's been the same for me where I feel as if I used to think I was kind of a slow learner, but then I realized that I just want to go deeper. And uh, I have a hard time just learning one thing. And then maybe it's an abstraction. I want to kind of like go deeper um, and dig in a little bit more. Yeah. Same for me. And I think- That kind of thing is not sexy, right? (laughs) People want to just be the types of people who see something on Twitter that's like, oh, Dino.js is replacing Node.js. They read one post about it, they're all in, and they understand (laughs) the intricacies of why one, why do you use one over the other? Um, But I could never be like that, kind of. I would really have to jump in before making any claims or asking my team if we could introduce this new thing, you know? Yeah, definitely. <laughs> there are definitely um, some that are like that. They just get very opinionated very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. <laughs> but it's also a little overwhelming, I think, to constantly see news or developer news about, oh, this is going to re- revolutionize everything. And then feel like you need to jump into every post and start learning and understanding. Um, It gets a little noisy for me, which is one of the reasons that I don't enjoy Twitter 
uh, all the time. <laughs> mm-hmm. I do feel like on Twitter, there is some new framework or some new thing every mm-hmm. other week, the new hotness. And I think sometimes I can be learning about the new thing too much where I need, where I need to focus on fundamentals more, but then it's, you know, shiny object syndrome, they call it. Yeah, exactly. Shiny object syndrome. Actually, uh, I've struck out a couple times over the past two weeks and I've kind of been like, ah, damn it, because I didn't have enough shiny object syndrome where someone asked me about the the thing that came up both times was server side rendering and Next.js. And I was kind of just like stuttering through my explanation on a very high level. I know why it's a good thing, but I've never built um, something with Next.js. So I really am not able to have a super in-depth conversation. So two times I've had to just be like, oh, I understand the basics, but you're going to go deeper than me on this one. So that's something I need to look into. Yeah. Um, So I feel like we've already touched quite a lot on this, but I wanted to ask what your other tips were for people who are either learning to code or just, you know, wanting to grow as a developer and kind of get to that thing level. Try not to compare yourself to other developers. That's really hard to do. Um, One of my friends is learning to code right now and she's been feeling really overwhelmed and she kind of had a bit of a breakdown the other week and she called me and she's like, I just don't understand why, how you can do this and I can't do it and all of that stuff. And I knew she totally had good intentions about the things she was saying. And I was just like, you can't compare your day 14 or so to my day five times 365, you know? It's really easy to see other people that seem to be killing it at development or are making really cool contributions in open source or anything like that, but you have no idea what their background is or how many hours they've spent doing this. So when you're just starting to learn, be easier on yourself and just understand that you're going to grow so much. You're building off of what you already know every single day. And it just compounds and it gets easier to learn new things. So keep building things and keep learning because um, the payoff is so worth it. And if this is something you enjoy, I'd say stick with it. Even if you don't feel like you're the type of person that does this job, you are. Everyone has a place here to build things and be in tech. Yeah. Steph, thanks so much for speaking with me. Yeah. Thanks, Madison. This was great. Um, For anyone who's listening, who wants to follow you or find your work, um, where can they go do that? Yeah, I am more active on Instagram than Twitter, but both are at StephJS. And I also have an Etsy shop. I make kind of like engineer merch types of things, sweatshirts, all kinds of things. I actually have an engineer sweatshirt that I'm now comfortable finally wearing. I wouldn't have been at my first job. (laughs) (laughs) coding, but now I rock it. So check out STEM babe on Etsy as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much.